All right, good morning again. Uh, good to see you guys. And uh, let me add my happy Mother's Day uh, to each of you that are, that are here. It's a special day. I want to say thanks to Mark Melbrick last week for filling in, uh, kind of in last minute uh, notice. I did, I did give him a heads up, so it wasn't like he got it the day before or something like that. And so if he gave you an impression like, oh, I just didn't know or whatever, you know, hey. But uh, I did call him Thursday night and I said, uh, well, it looks like I'm going to be around this weekend, uh, so just take it easy. And then about noon on Friday, we got a call that uh, my daughter Anna was going into labor. And so we started scrambling and getting a flight out about 1030 last Friday night and flew through the night. Got there an hour after little Finley was born. Uh, so we were just that close, but she had her two sisters with her and everything went wonderful and they're doing great. And I think the most special moment for me was when my other three grandkids got into the, the hospital room and made their way to meet their new little cousin. And they were just mesmerized uh, with her. Uh, and, uh, and then when they brought her home, we got a little picture in the backyard uh, with the three of them, uh, which, Hey, that's the kids, all right? That's what draws me sometimes to go to Indiana, you know, every once in a while. But we are, we are so grateful uh, for God's blessing there. And uh, Annette's still back there with them and celebrating Mother's Day with her three daughters. And so anyway, uh, any invites for lunch today? It'll be fine. <laughs> just, just, just kidding. Uh, I, I really am excited about today's message. You know, we've been walking through this uh, topic on the Holy Spirit and taking it particularly from the Gospel of John. And today, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're, we're looking at John chapter 15 and 16. So you can begin to turn there. We've got some Bibles available as usual from our ushers. We'll uh, put one in your hand if you get their attention. Um, I, this section is, is quite unique to me, and, and when I started w working through this and, and just living with this again, uh, I started thinking, have you ever been in a time where a conversation started where somebody said, I've got something to share with you, but they preceded that by saying, now you know I love you. <laughs> what, do you what do you do in those moments? You kind of brace yourself, don't you? You're getting ready for something that might sting just a little bit. Uh, you know, it reminded me of that in this conversation, this discourse that we've been walking through. Jesus is in the upper room. It's in the final moments of his uh, earthly ministry with his disciples, just hours before he's going to the cross. If you were with us on the first week, he has just dropped a bombshell on them saying, I'm going someplace and you're not going to be able to go with me this time. They're all frustrated because they've followed him everywhere for three years. They're saying, why can't we go? You know, Peter particularly, why, why can't we go? He says, Peter, you'll come with me uh, at another time. But then he lays the groundwork for what's going to happen as a result of him leaving. By, by me leaving, I'm going to be able to do something that's even better than my physical presence with you. I'm going to be able to send the Holy Spirit and this is what the next uh, few chapters in John are, are laying out for us. And we looked and we saw how he's trying to comfort them. In fact, he starts off chapter 14 saying, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He knows they're troubled because he's just, he's just dropped this, this terrible news on them that he's going someplace and they can't go. So all the words that proceed now are comforting words. He's gonna be your guide. He is gonna be your comforter. He's gonna be your helper. He's gonna come alongside you as, as an advocate for you. These are all the positive things that the Spirit's gonna do because I'm leaving. This is gonna have even greater things than you've seen happen are gonna happen because now the Spirit is going to come and dwell with, within you. 
But, uh, you know, one of the things he did say is that this is going to be the spirit of truth. And would you agree, sometimes the truth doesn't always feel that good. And, and I find it interesting in the section I'm going to read here in just a moment, the, the verse right before it, he says, now I share these things so that you guys will love each other. And it's almost like he's saying, I've got something to share with you. Now you know I love you, right? But because he is the spirit of truth, Jesus does not refrain from sharing some harsh realities. He doesn't hold that back. As much as he wants to just shroud it in all the positive and all the, the feel-good stuff, he's going to share the truth with us. And that's what he's going to do with the disciples. But you watch and see if it isn't precisely the things he's going to talk about that are the things that ultimately we look to to transform and to change us from who we were into what he's called us to be. That's why today's message we're talking about how does the Holy Spirit transform us? How does it work? One of the things I, I'm just passionate about is to try to make this um, so perceivable, so, so practical for you that when we walk away this morning, you're, you're not going to scratch your head and wondering, what does this life look like in, in the Spirit? Because he's going to describe it for us with great detail. Let's look at the Scripture, and then we're going to pray and ask uh, for his help to understand uh, what he wants to share. The, the place I want us to begin is verse 18 in chapter 15. And here's what Jesus says. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, the, world that I said, or the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. For if they persecuted me, they will also persecute, persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on the count of my name because they do not know who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Now I'm gonna stop there and um, and we're going to just ask the Lord to help us understand his words to them and to us even today. Let's pray. Lord, as we bow before you, we do so with humility, uh, with an openness of heart to hear what you have for us. Sometimes we brace ourselves when there's hard things to hear. And uh, sometimes we do so to the expense of, of hearing those clearly. But I pray today that we bring to you a humble heart, that uh, desires to not stay as we are, but to be changed more into your likeness. If there's an area of our life that we need to surrender, that we need to come to terms with, that you want to expose within our heart, I pray that today uh, that your light will shine in this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I uh, got some notes on the way in, and we're going to just kind of walk through some of these harsh realities, as I call them, and the first of those is just exactly what he says in verse 18 and 19, and that would be the persecution that's going to happen to the disciples, the persecution of the disciples. And as, as Jesus is kind of laying all this out, he's preparing them for the big chill they're going to experience when they're walking this life out in the world. Uh, it, it's not going to be easy. And he makes it clear, if, if they did it to me, 
They're going to do it to you. And why is that? Because now I am going to be inside of you. My spirit will be actually inside of you. And therefore, the very things that I went through and endured, you're, you're going to identify with that. Now watch the next verse, verse 19, what he says. He said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You've heard the phrase to be, to be in the world, but not of the world. And you wonder, well, what does that mean? The best way I know to illustrate that is a boat. A boat should be in the water, but not of the water, right? <laughs> what happens if it's of the water? What's it doing? It's, it's sinking. And, and, and if you could just picture yourself that way, as a believer going through this period of, of your journey in the world, that you're buoyant, that you're above the water, hopefully, that you're not absorbed, that you're not uh, totally of the water, you know, not, not of the world, and this is what Jesus is describing. You're going to step to a different drummer. You're going to be different. You're, you're going to be out of step with the, what the world is doing and how they're doing it. And because of that, he says, they're going to, they're going to hate you. Now, when you became a believer, and I, I know that we've got folks in the room today that are all over the page as far as where you're at on that journey, there's, there's probably a few of you here, quite honestly, that have not begun that journey yet. You're just, just kind of looking and seeking and, and maybe exploring what that looks like, and I'm glad you're here. But when you do trust the Lord as your Savior, the Bible says that that's the point in which the Spirit is going to begin to dwell within you. You have a new identity. The folks that we just witnessed, the baptism, uh, that's one thing the Scripture has prescribed uh, as outwardly kind of declaring what has happened. We have died, we've been buried with Christ, and we rise up anew, and the life we live now is by the power of His Spirit within us. That's what that symbolizes. And when that happens, all of a sudden, now you are identified with Him, and, and every, all the properties that Christ brings to a situation, you are going to bring that. Now, here's what's interesting. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but you know, when you look at Jesus' life, his ministry, for three years, when he would go and he would teach and he would preach and he would speak to the folks, he would talk about the love of God, right? He, he would express how God wants to forgive you and, and wants to give you a new life and an abundant life and all these great things. Not only that, but then he would, um, he would touch people that were the untouchables. He would heal people that were desperate, that had nowhere else to turn, and they turned to Christ, and he, he just transformed their lives. And you're, you're thinking, why would we have a problem with a guy like that? Why, why would people be so angry that they would have to feel like they had to get rid of him or even kill him? All he did was love. That was his whole message, was about love. Doesn't it seem a bit confusing that they would want to, want to get rid of him? Well, we have the clue of why that happens and what's going on in verse 22. From Jesus' own lips, he tells us, listen, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Guys, I don't know if you understand how how amazing that verse and how much of a revelation that is, but that's why the world hates Jesus. 
is because when he comes, he exposes, he, he uh, uncovers the sin of people. And for a lot of people, that is a very unpleasant thing. You ever notice the, the extent of which people go to to hide their sin? It's our nature. Adam did it in the garden, didn't he? As soon as he disobeyed God, what was the first thing he went and did? He hid. Thought he could hide behind a fig leaf, but that wasn't good enough, right? Uh, he hid from God. And when God looked for him, Adam, where are you? Well, I was afraid. You know, I, now, now our relationship is broken. That's where people are at. And Jesus understands that when he comes, when he speaks his word, he is the light that exposes that sin. I put a scripture uh, right under that one uh, in, earlier in John's gospel that kind of gives some color to this. He says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And friends, understand this. When you have Christ living in you, you bring that light wherever you go, to your family, to your neighborhood, to your workplace. Uh, it doesn't matter where. When you bring Christ, you are bringing that light. If you've ever gone on record and said that I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, your people know that, and that light is emanating. And don't be surprised if people push back, if they reject you, if they ridicule you, if they push you aside, if they don't treat you kindly, whatever. Because what hap what's happening is exactly what Jesus described. Your light is exposing their sin. You may not be aware of that. And they might not even be aware of that, but that's what's happening. And that's what Jesus is preparing us for. That's what you do when you bring Christ into the situation. Um, you know, it's interesting because he warns them about this and he tells them very clearly, he says, I'm telling you guys this so that you won't be caught off guard uh, by all of this. Look at chapter 16 if you pick up there. I've said this to you to keep you from falling away. I don't want you to get tripped over, over this. They will put you out of the synagogues Indeed, the hour is going to come when whoever kills you, you will, they will think that they're offering a service to God. This is part of that harsh reality I spoke about. This is what's going to happen to you guys. And by the way, if you know anything about the way the Bible unfolds, there's a person who embodies just what he's saying. Do you know what his name was? A very well-known Bible character, the great Apostle Paul. There was a period we read about in the book of Acts where he was literally going out and trying to destroy these Christians and he thought he was doing God a favor by doing so. That's exactly what Jesus was saying there. He says they're gonna do these things because they have not known the Father nor me, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Okay? So he prepares them uh, for this persecution that's gonna come. And then he takes a deeper dive into the details of the preparation. This is a section I call the preparation of the disciples. And if you pick up in, in let's say, verse uh, 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, watch this. I, I don't think that you can get any more clear, any more specific about what the work of the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer than what we're about to read right here. Here's what he says. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and, and you see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has, has been judged. Th this, word, this word conviction is an interesting word. Usually we, we refer to somebody that um, is sentenced, you know, they've been indicted and the judge comes down or the jury comes down and now they've been convicted of that, that sin so they're sent off to, to carry out their sentence. In a spiritual realm, this is probably, for many of us here today who are followers of Christ, this is probably getting close to the first impression of the work of the Holy Spirit that you ever had concerning the things of God was this idea of conviction. Because when you're in the world, you're in darkness, you're blind, you don't feel that sense of conviction or guilt over your sin. I remember before I met Christ, uh, we call them Jesus freaks back then, they'd say, you know that God will forgive you of your sins, brother. And I'd said, who needs forgiveness of their sins? Man, I'm having a good time. I had absolutely no sense of conviction over my sin at that point. And I don't know if you've ever tried to pinpoint or put your finger on when you first experienced this sense of conviction from the Holy Spirit of God. I've shared this before, but in my best recollection, uh, in my memory, uh, I think I go back to about five weeks before I graduated from high school. And I was, um, I was going over to a, a buddy of mine's to pick him up and we were gonna go out partying that night. This friend, his name is Jimmy Williams, he was the most vile friend that I had. This guy was raunchy with a capital R. You know, I'm telling you, he, he was immoral uh, in every way. And yet I knew a little bit about his background. His mom was well known within the Baptist church because she sang, she was a soloist and just a sweet gal. His mom was, was wonderful. Uh, and so JC, his nickname, JC, uh, interesting. I never even connected that, but uh, he... He, uh, he was walking out. He must have grown up in Sunday school, probably in that Baptist church. So at somewhere along the line, he got deposited some of the truth and the things of God. So I'm on the way out, and he says, you know you're breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And I looked, and I said, who are you to be telling me about the Ten Commandments, dude? I said, you, you are the last person that needs to be preaching to me. And he says, you don't even know what one, do you? And I said, No. And he said, don't use God's name in vain. And I said, what does that mean? It says, it's what you do about every fourth word. GD this and GD that and GD this. And, and it just would flow off. And, he's, and, and uh, you know, now as I think back on it, and some of you are this way, you know that truth. And when you're around somebody that uses the name of Jesus without talking to Jesus, uh, or, or GD or this, you know, that, there's something that just cringes inside. And there was enough, as vile as this guy was, there was something inside of him that when I did this all the time, he finally had to say something about it. And when he said this, I made fun of him, I persecuted, I said, oh man, get out of here, you know, you're the last person. But you wanna know something? I never did it again. 
I never did it again. Paul says in Romans that the law can't save you. All the law can do is let you know you're a lawbreaker. And that was the first time, I think, in my, my heart, my spirit, that I knew I was a lawbreaker. And I think subconsciously I'm thinking, wow, if, if I'm concerned about that law, I mean, I've watched Charlton Heston. I knew the Ten Commandments, right? You know, I saw it on Easter Sunday. And I knew all the stuff that, you know, I mean, I knew the big ones. And I thought, wow, if I'm, if I'm doing this and I didn't even know I was doing it, what about all the other, thing, all the other things that, that matter to God that I'm breaking? And I think that's where conviction started to kind of settle in. And it was only about four or five weeks later that I had a dramatic experience with the Lord, and He came into my life and filled me with His Spirit, and everything was changed. When was your first time? What was that like? Jesus describes for us three areas that the Spirit, when He's at work, are going to awaken our conscience. There's three specific areas. And watch the way that this flows. Watch this process unfold. He says that, first of all, He says when the Spirit comes, He's going to convict concerning sin because they don't believe in Me. Okay? Sin's an interesting word. If you ask 20 people what the definition or what it means, you're going to probably get 20 different answers, aren't you? And yet, um, when we read the Scripture, there's two predominant Greek words that are translated as sin. One of them is the word parabasis. Uh, It means transgression. It means you've drawn a line and you've stepped over the line. That's what I did with that command. I stepped over the line. God says, no, I don't want you to do this, but I, I would break that. That's parabasis. The most common word is is the word hamartia, and it means literally to miss the mark. Best illustration is an archer who's trying to shoot an arrow toward a bullseye, and he misses it. It doesn't matter whether you miss it by an inch or by three feet. You miss the mark. That's why the nature of sin, friends, is not on a hierarchy. There's not worse sins than others. Sin is sin. Sin is just missing the mark. And by the way, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, according to the Scripture, right? We've all missed that mark. What's the mark? The mark is perfection. And that's the second word that he says, that sin, because they don't believe in me, the second one, he's going to convict the world of righteousness. Now, this is interesting. What is righteousness? Righteousness is derived from the word right as opposed to wrong, and it means perfection. It means, it means Christ is the only true righteous one because he's the only sinless one. And he is the perfect one. And now the Holy Spirit, Christ's Spirit himself, is going to be inside of us. And what Jesus is describing here is you are going to know what that perfect man is all about. He's going to be inside of you. Now think about this. If the first word talks about missing the mark or missing the bullseye, the second word is he's also going to tell us what the bullseye is. You can't know you're missing the bullseye if you don't know what the perfect mark is, right? And so the Spirit's going to uh, bring that. He's going to reveal what perfection is. He's going to reveal how we miss that perfection. And then the third word, he's going to convict us according to judgment. And so he's basically saying, The Spirit's going to tell us that it matters to God if we miss that mark. There are going to be consequences if we miss the mark. And the world that you and I live in 
is a world in which most of the folks that, that we talk and interact with that don't have this understanding, this light, this truth, they somehow think they're the ones that is setting that mark, that they're the ones that determine that. But Jesus says, no, it is the Holy Spirit that is going to determine what is to be judged and how it is to be judged. And it's all according to this light. And that light uh, is what exposes folks, and they know that. I was on my way back uh, on Friday, and uh, it was a full flight, and uh, so there was a gal sitting next to me. And, um, and I, I, I had the timing down. It was Friday, and uh, you know, I need, needed to shift gears from babies and everything else and start thinking about this weekend and, and preach. So I'm, I'm reading my notes. And I'm over in the corner, you know, up against the side, and I'm, I'm looking, and she looks over and she says, oh, do you have a speech to give? I said, kind of. And, and I said, I give it every week. And then she said, oh. A sermon. And I said, yeah, I, I, I'd call it that. And she said, well, what church did, uh, do you go to? I mentioned the church. Well, she, she was coming out here to visit her son and daughter-in-law who live in Seattle. And, uh, and then that, of course, sparked a conversation. And she said, you know, my daughter-in-law has been going to, to church lately. She says, kind of interesting. She's just kind of gone to several and, and trying to, to, to discover maybe what that's all about. My son, my son never went to church. She said, we didn't have much to do with church. And then, then this comment, we're just going to make our own way. And I thought, I thought, there you go, right there. We're, we're going to set our own standard. We're going to set our own mark, you know, and, and it's up to us. And I always think of that scripture that says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. It's not us who's going to determine that mark. And, uh, you know, that's for a, a deeper conversation and um, when Jesus says, I've come to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Friends, I hope you hear this. If you all the things you hear today, this is what the work of the Holy Spirit not only did initially, but this is the work that continues in our life and on this path. This is essentially what he does each and every day of our life until we are on the other side. He's going to let you know and, and interpret for you where you're missing that mark. But he's also going to tell you this is what the perfect mark is and this is what we're striving toward. And then he's going to say, and it matters to God. It matters to God if we miss it. And some of us have this notion that, man, we can continue to plow through that and maybe it doesn't matter to him. And he... He would love, he would love it, you know, if you, if you would comply just simply out of love. But friends, the truth is, sometimes it, it's out of discipline, out of pain, and out of the healthy fear of God that we comply. But it does matter to God, and that's the work that he keeps doing. Now, this last area that I wanted to share with you is not necessarily derived from John, uh, from the gospel, but I thought it was too important to to not just touch on uh, as we kind of wrap all this together, and that is what we're calling the perfection of the disciple. Now, you might not like that word, but, you know, 
Like it or not, it's, it's a biblical phrase that is used in certain versions that will um, interpret katartizio as perfection or perfect. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, the, the scripture I wrote in there in the ESV has translated that word as, uh, as restoration. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you all. From 2 Corinthians. This word that, that is sometimes translated as perfection literally means wholeness or completion. It means coming to a place of repair or mending so that you now have become what you were intended to be, the full purpose of what, what was there in the beginning. We were broken, and now we've, been, now we've been repaired. We've been fixed to become what God wants. This is the idea that is there. And there's a process that he takes us through. And I just wanted to pass on to you just several thoughts, kind of as, as an application today before, um, before we, we conclude. Uh, one of the first things, I, I just want us to remind ourselves, this is a journey, okay? It's a process. Someone once said, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. This is not one and done. This is, this, we're in it for the long haul. I love this promise of Philippians where he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. When you trusted the Lord as your Savior and he began that work, he is going to take you through the ups and the downs and the ins and outs and the mountaintops and the valleys and, and all of that, but he's going to stay with you through this journey. It's a journey. The scenery is going to change. And, uh, and yet, this is something that we continue to uh, strive, strive towards. The second thing I think that is important is that we set our sights on the final destination. Where is it ultimately that he is leading us? The final destination. Remember the old hymn that said, turn your eyes upon Jesus? Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. He's got, he's got a destination in mind. And there's times he's going to take you through the hills and the valleys, but, but there's something ultimately where he is, is leading us to. Sometimes we don't get there as fast as we want to. I was on my way to the airport. It was so funny. We just pulled out of the, the neighborhood and my four-year-old grandson's back in the car seat behind me and and uh, it's about a 40-minute drive to the airport, and he wanted something, and his mom said, no, you can't until we, after we drop Papa off at the airport. He got about two or three blocks, and he said, are we there yet? <laughs> you know? And I, I think some of us feel that way on this journey. We're thinking, are we there yet? Do I still have to go through all of these steps and everything else? And the Lord has a clear destination in mind, and, uh, and he's going he's gonna to continue uh, to do that, that work. Uh, I, you know, I, again, in the, in the name of practicality, some of us wonder, okay, what, what is this journey really like? What is this life in the Spirit really like? And Jesus has given us some pretty good detail about revealing this, when we've missed the mark, he's, he's showed us what the mark really is, and he's talked about the judgment or the consequences or the concern that he has if we don't adjust to that. But here's what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. For some of you that are new in the faith, you may get discouraged because you're thinking, oh man, I blew it, 
and now it's all over, and, and I guess I'm beyond the, uh, repair, beyond forgiveness or whatever. Here's what it looks like. When you became a Christian, the Spirit comes inside of you, and if you think about this, there are things that now that you have been convicted over that a year ago or three years ago you never felt bad about at all, but now suddenly they've come to your awareness. That's what we were talking about. Okay? You get to a point where you're tempted and you're in a situation and you're making a, dis a decision. Okay, am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? Some of you are still in the earlier stages and you're locked into habits, uh, into behaviors and, and characteristics. It can, be, it can be habits, it can be substance abuses, it can be language, it can be any number of things. And now the Spirit's in you and he says, he says you know, why'd you do that? And you feel guilty and you feel ashamed for the first time because it's the spirit inside of you that is convicting you over doing that. That's, that's natural, okay? Before he was there, you didn't feel that. Okay, here's what happens, the next step. All of a sudden, if you live with him for a while, the spirit is going to tell you don't do that before you do it. And you're going to do it anyway. <laughs> and then you're really going to feel bad. Because now you willfully just plowed right through what the Spirit was telling you, don't, don't do this. And it's usually a gentle voice. It's not a harsh voice. And then you really feel bad, and that may go on for some time, but then there comes a point when the Spirit says, don't do this. And you say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. And that is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit you have just been transformed a little bit more into the likeness of Jesus. There are three things that happen in salvation, three words that the Scripture introduces. This is kind of a doctrinal thing, but the first word is called justification. Paul talks about it in Romans. You're justified. You've heard it kind of said this way, just as if I'd never sinned. What it does is it wipes out the penalty of sin. That's why you so feel such a freedom and a lifting when you've given your heart to Christ because you know you've been forgiven from the penalty of sin. That's justification. The second phase, the second work is called sanctification. And that's a work often associated with this work of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of phrases and things go around, but basically what it's intended to do is not to deal with so much the penalty as the power of sin in your life. What I just described for you is the sanctifying work, and that's how it breaks the back of these addictions and these habits and these things that we know are going against God, but now we're complying and conforming more to the likeness of Christ, and the Spirit is doing it just that way. He brings it to your attention, and most of the time, like I said earlier, you want to do this out of love. If you love the Lord, it says you'll obey Him, right? And you'd love your children to just do what you've asked because they love you so much, right? But unfortunately, sometimes we've got to set a boundary, and if they break that boundary, what do we do? We discipline because we love them. They need to know there's consequence, and it is one of the saddest things to see when you see, in, in this case, kids that, that have had no boundaries set, no, no uh, lines drawn for them. I was sitting in the park on Wednesday with my, my three grandkids, and they're out playing, and I mean, this is idyllic. It was a beautiful day. I'm sitting in the park watching my grandkids. And here's this little kid. He's probably four years old, and he's a big kid for four years old. And his dad's sitting next, young dad, and he wants to take his shoes off. Okay, he takes his shoes, and he's playing. And dad comes and says, it's time to go. I don't want to go. And I watch this. I just, my feet, just a few feet. I don't want to go. You can't make me go. 
And if dad picks him up, doesn't set a boundary, you can tell he's probably just never even an inkling of discipline. And he picks him up, and this kid is screaming. He's beating his dad, and, he's, and the dad just walks across the park. I could hear him all the way in the parking lot. I don't want to go. You can't make me go. And I'm just thinking, wow, what is this kid going to grow up with or without? You know what I'm saying? It just, it just makes me ill inside. And yet spiritually, friends, when God is, is trying to perfect us, and change us and transform us, and we don't work with him, and we don't understand the boundaries that he has set, and we think, oh, I don't have to do that. Why are you going to make me do that? It's the same type of thing. So it's a a process. It's a journey. Um, A third thing is, friends, there's going to be some roadblocks. There are going to be some roadblocks. There's going to be some detours uh, along the way. There might even be a few wrecks, okay? But hang in there because he sees this final destination. And I wanted to complete what my thought was just a moment ago because I said there was justification, sanctification. What's the final destination? It's what we call glorification. If justification deals with the penalty of sin, sanctification is the power of sin, glorification is the presence of sin. There's going to be a day, not on this side, on the other side where the presence of sin will be... um, diminished it'll be gone okay that's the work that's the work and last thing every once in a while and maybe today's a good day for that pause and just celebrate what the lord has already done in your heart and your life isn't that great can you think can you think of an area that you know three years ago five years ago ten years ago you you weren't that way but now because the lord is at work in you you begin to see this change happening and that's the work of the Lord. It, it, it's, it's like growth, and, and growth is so subtle that you, until you kind of step into it in periods of time, you don't know what he's done or how he's done it, but when you stand back and look, and you're going to say, God, thank you that you did not leave me where I was at, that your work continues in my heart and my life, and, um, and today I, I want to work with you. I, I want to submit myself to that. There was a song we sang earlier today, and I hope I get the words right, but it was that second song, and there was a thing that says, there's no shadow that he doesn't light up. No shadow he can't light up. No shadow he can't light up. And that light is in this room right now, and he wants to expose anything there that's not of of the Spirit, and we want to bring it humbly before him, confess, it's called confession, and allow him to cleanse that. If you're here today and you've never even taken that first step, could I encourage you to consider that? Have you ever trusted the Lord, confessed that He is the Lord, that He is your Savior? Like you witnessed a few minutes ago in the baptism, that you just believe Jesus is the Son of God. Have you ever professed that, even through baptism? Is that still a step that you have to take? Why don't you determine today to take that step? Do that with the Lord is calling. So this, this work can begin in your own heart and life and just see the abundance that comes. Amen? Let's stand together. I want to pray with you. And uh, uh, our team is going to come and close us in a song, uh, singing those words once again about the mercy of God that is falling on us. All that he has come to do, he's in this room right now and wants to do that in your heart and life. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for your word today. Uh, we, we're grateful that it's the only thing that can change us, that can transform us. Just like you said yourself, if you had not spoken these words, we, we wouldn't know that there was a change that was necessary. But now that you have, Lord, we've, we've been uncovered. And you see us right down to the core of who we are. And you love us in spite of it. <laughs> While we were yet sinners, you died for us so that we could know the extent of your love. God, if, there, if there's a brother or sister that's here that you drew into this place today that has any uncertainty about their relationship with you, maybe today's that day that they're, they're just in their heart of hearts going to reach out and talk to you and say, Lord, today I, I come to you and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry for them. Begin to realize that that I need that forgiveness. I need you as my Savior. And so today I trust you for your salvation. Would you come into my heart and uh, make it your home? Begin to give me the power to live in a way that pleases you. And Lord, I just am excited because based on that simple profession, something miraculous is going to begin to happen. And we look forward to it as it unfolds. Be with each one today as, as we just process what this means for us. If there's something that we, we really need to wrestle with, something that we need to contend with, that we've been putting off, that, uh, that today we realize it matters to you. And so we call upon you for your forgiveness, for your grace, for your mercy, uh, just to fall upon our life and that we draw from it. We receive it today. And we do all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing these words together. If we can do anything with you, come alongside to help you or pray with you, please let us know how we can do that, okay?